Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Well, it's good to worship with you on this Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is an interesting kind of day in the church calendar, a somewhat challenging day. Um, Perhaps that wouldn't be your first response when you think about Palm Sunday, but when you look at it a little bit deeper, you begin to recognize there's a lot of contradictions that happen on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is, on the one hand, a day of great celebration, a day of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with people all around him waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. He was proclaimed as a victor by many in that crowd. But the nature of that victory, and certainly the timing of that victory, would be very different from what many in that crowd imagined. In just a few short days, the shouts would turn from Hosanna to crucify him. A dark week was ahead. How do we think about the celebration of Palm Sunday, while at the same time knowing what was just around the corner. How could Palm Sunday possibly be a day of celebration? The contradiction is a little hard to hold together. And in a similar way, as we come to the next segment of the Apostles' Creed, we come to a little bit of a contradiction that, again, we may not often think about, but is very real nonetheless. Last week, we thought about the significance of the universal church the difference that the communion of the saints has made in our world and in our lives. It really is a celebration of God's plan for bringing humanity together, both to support one another and to be a witness to the broader world of the love and grace and hope of God. That's the positive side. That's the the celebration component that we saw that's similar to Jesus riding into Jerusalem. But we also know a darker side. We know that the church, made up as it is of sinful human beings, is not a perfect institution. We've seen how sin has damaged individual relationships even in the church. And we've seen how sins at a leadership level have damaged significantly the the role and the place and the view of the organized church in our community, in our culture, to the point that there are many people in our own culture who have been so damaged by the church that they say, enough of it. I'm going to turn my back completely on the church. They wish to have a relationship with God. They don't want anything to do with God's people. And that's a problematic situation on a number of different levels. The church was instituted by God and serves a significant role in the advancement of God's kingdom. But how can God use such a broken tool? How can God use such a broken institution with full of broken people. How is that even possible? And that brings us to the very next statement in the Apostles' Creed after we learned last week of and read the, the portion that talks about the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. We come to this line immediately after that. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Seven simple words a very profound and significant statement. We can almost take them for granted, in fact. 
But here's the thing. Those words, they weren't taken for granted by the early church who added them to this creed. In fact, those words were added to address some very real challenges and concerns of that early church. Questions and concerns about the very nature of sin and forgiveness that were spoken of in the statement, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Here's how Ben Myers describes it. There was a dramatic debate that arose among 4th century believers about the nature of sin and forgiveness. Christians in those days were still subjected to periods of persecution under the Roman emperors. In 303, the emperor Diocletian ordered that the property of Christians was to be seized. Their books were to be burned, and their places of worship were to be destroyed. All Christian leaders were to be imprisoned. Only those who sacrificed to the Roman gods would be released. Some Christians were martyred, but martyrdom was actually the exception. Countless frightened Christians, including, of course, many clergy, came out to make the sacrifices. The emperor even permitted the Christians to sacrifice en masse, making it as easy as possible for them to renounce their faith. They came together in a group so that it was easier for them not to feel isolated as they made this sacrifice. By offering public sacrifices to the Roman gods, such Christians had effectively renounced their baptism and turned from God. Before long, things returned to normal in the broader culture. Christianity was again tolerated as part of Rome's pluralistic empire. And predictably, many of the apostate believers, now known as traitors, soon came back to a church as if nothing at all had happened. That situation created a pastoral crisis for many congregations. What's to be done with believers who renounce their baptism? Can they be accepted back into the faith? Is there a public way of marking their reentry into the church? Should they? Can they be baptized a second time? Or should they be permanently excluded from participation in the Christian community? Even more awkward was the question about clergy who had made those pagan sacrifices. When ministers of Christ invalidate their faith, does it mean their ministry has been valid all along? What if you'd been baptized by one of them, one of those individuals who later renounced their faith? Would you need to be baptized again by someone else? Now, that's an interesting historical description of the situation that occurred in the early church. And on one level, those can sound like academic questions fit for a seminary class or some other people over there. Those questions have some very real-world expressions in our own day. What is the nature of sin? Is, is sin really that big of a deal? Does sin really impact how we relate to one another? And if a person does sin, is that the end? Is there any hope? Is there any way for that sin to be forgiven or something done about it? The creed affirms, and Scripture affirms, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to turn to a passage in letter, first, John's first letter, chapter 1, that talks about this relationship between sin and forgiveness and the definition of what that sin is. And as we've done throughout this series, we're going to read once again today from the message version of the Bible of 1 John, beginning with verse 1. From the very first day, we were there, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this, 
The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. This, in essence, is the message that we heard from Christ and are passing on to you. God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being that light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus God's Son purges all our sin. If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. Right at the outset of John's letter, he affirms a very exciting reality. He and many others of his day, they had heard with their ears, they had seen with their eyes, they had validated with their own hands God in human form in their very midst. Jesus Christ, God himself, had come to them, had spent time with them, and it was such a glorious experience that John didn't want to keep it to himself. Have you ever had that happen? Had something so great happen that you couldn't help but share it with everyone that you came into contact with? That's what John and his friends had. We want you to enjoy this too, he said. But then John takes what can seem like a somewhat odd turn. He goes from talking about this glorious presence of Jesus in his midst to saying, God is light. Pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. That's John's way of introducing a challenge. A challenge that he's going to address throughout the rest of this letter and a challenge which is all too real to us and to all of humanity. As wonderful and great as God is, and as much as John wants all of us to experience a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a darkness. A darkness in our world that's diametrically opposed to the light of God. And as he goes along, John lets each one of us know that in ourselves, in our own personhood, we are part of that darkness. In our own actions, in our own attitudes, we have opposed the light. We have sinned. We've gone against the ways of God. And our sin creates a break in our relationship with God. You see, there's the glorious ideal of Jesus Christ the perfect God in human form. And we're called to be measured against that. I don't know about you, but if I see and hear about Jesus and I try to measure my life up against that, I know how quickly I fall short. That brings us back here to the Apostles' Creed, to this statement, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. There's really two important parts of that statement, and Two important words, forgiveness and sins. We tend to like the idea of forgiveness, particularly if we're the ones being forgiven. 
Don't talk to us about sin. Don't talk to us about what is or isn't a sin. But you see, it's precisely in recognizing our sinfulness that we get a glimpse into the grace and mercy that God extends by forgiving us of those sins. And in our remaining time together today, we're going to examine both our sin and God's forgiveness in an effort to better understand God's incredible love for each one of us. So what is sin? How would you define sin? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, part of our tradition and history, defines sin as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. I'll read that again. Any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. What does that all mean? In other words, God has a law or a right way of acting and being. And any deviation from that law, anything that's short of absolute perfection, that's sin. Others might define sin as disobedience of the known law of God. Or still others as wanting and living out my way instead of God's way. These are all come back to a similar kind of theme. What is sin? Sin is disobedience of God. God has a standard of action and of being, and anything short of God's standard is sin. Now, there is honest debate in various parts of the church today about what actions and attitudes constitute sin. And at times, our culture even tries to pressure us to proclaim all sorts of things okay that have been in the past seen in Scripture and believed by the church for centuries to be sin. And we have to ask ourselves the question, who gets to define that sin? How do we find a clear definition of what is right and wrong? That takes us back to what is sin? Sin is breaking the code and breaking the, the known law of whom? Of God. So you see, if we want to know what is or is not sin, we have to go back to God. John, in the passage that we read together today, talks about walking in the light and the fact that God himself is that light. How do we know God's perspective and definition of sin? Well, only as we listen to God. And the primary source of godly insight for us is the Bible. So we need to spend time reading and studying Scripture, allowing it to speak into our lives and giving us insight into what is right and to what is wrong. The problem today is that some things in Scripture don't seem to always fit with some of our larger societal norms. Biblical issues on a diverse array of, of categories can sometimes seem at odds with our culture. And when that happens, we are called to walk in the light, to allow the truth of God's word to be our guide. And I recognize that's often easier said than done. But it's God's invitation. And the thing is, sometimes those things that we read in Scripture, sometimes the things that we hear from God, can sometimes seem a bit strange, can seem a little bit out of step about with what we would wish or what we would want. The issue is, do we trust in the God of the universe? The God who created all things to give wise direction and guidance? Or do we think that we, that I, am the ultimate arbiter of what is best? Am I willing to trust God and follow God's ways? Or do I think I'm the best? 
There are many times when good-meaning, Bible-believing, God-honoring people have differences of interpretation on particular passages. But at least they've agreed on the fundamental structure that the Scripture, God's Word, the Bible, needs to be the foundation of our understanding of right and wrong. Why? Because the definition comes from God. Some people recognize the sin in their lives or the lives of others and think that God's standard is too high. They try to water it down so that it fits with their own lives. But again, we're reminded it is God who defines the nature of sin. Why is that such a big deal? Why is sin such an important and, and significant part of what we're talking about today in, in Scripture? The Bible, Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. There's a significant consequence to sin. The impact of sin entering the world is the entrance of death. And yes, that's partially the introduction of physical death when our lives come to an end. But even more, it's the relational death that comes from being separated from God. Sin breaks relationship with God and with other people. And in an ultimate sense, that means eternal separation from God. Sin is a big deal. We've all sinned. Some of us are quick to recognize our sin and want to move on to forgiveness. Others have to be reminded of how far short of God's standard we really are. But in either case, sin is significant. Sin is a reality in our lives. But here's the good news. Sin's not the end of the story. We recognize that we're all sinners. But what then? How do we respond to that fact? Is there anything that can be done, or are we simply lost in a hopeless place? The Bible does say that the wages of sin is death, but that passage doesn't stop right there. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ah, can't forget the rest of that story. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. On the sin side, we are all guilty. But the sin side is not the end of the story. Because as the creed affirms, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. How does that happen? How is that possible? How does that occur? Well, Jesus Christ came to this world, God in human form. And he lived a sinless life. Unlike you and me, that standard that God set, Jesus matched it. He lived right up to it. And in doing so, he could become a perfect sacrifice, a perfect substitute for your sins and mine. God laid out in the Old Testament an understanding that sins could be covered by a sacrifice, another life that was given for that sin. But the sacrifice couldn't be sinful in and of itself, particularly if it was taking the place of our human sin. Otherwise, that sacrifice would merely be paying for its own sin. But sinless Jesus— Sinless Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross, paying the penalty for your sins and mine. As the creed earlier affirmed, he was buried, signifying that he was really dead. And then on that first Easter Sunday, he rose again. And next Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate like crazy the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for our purposes today, we're reminded that this resurrection validates Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. It shows that he really can pay the penalty for our sins. And he offers it to you and to me as a gift.
not of something we deserved, not of something we can earn or get back to God with, but as a simple gift that we're invited to receive. How does that happen? Well, we receive that gift by confessing our sins, by admitting that we're a sinner. Not that we're perfect, not that we're sinless, but just the opposite, that we are a sinner. That God is the writer of the rules, and that in my own strength I don't measure up. And there's nothing I can do to get myself to earn my way back to God. We simply need to receive and admit our need for this gift. John puts it like this. If we admit our sins, simply come clean about them. He won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. That, friends, is the greatest news possible. That is the good news of the gospel. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Made possible because of God's grace. Not because of what we deserve. Not because of what we've earned. Because we haven't earned anything but punishment. But God's love and God's forgiveness. Here's the thing. Sin comes in a big, big spectrum, doesn't it? From the littlest white lie that we might think is not really a big deal to the mass murderers and the most heinous crimes that you can think of. And everywhere in between. No, you may not have committed mass murder, but you've sinned against God. And the penalty for even one of those sins is eternal death. All sin is punishable by death. Here's the thing. All sin is also able to be forgiven by God. Anywhere along that spectrum, Jesus Christ died for that sin. God's grace doesn't mean he has no definition of sin. Quite the contrary. Forgiveness doesn't equal lowering the standard or saying that particular sins are not important. No, that Jesus wouldn't have needed to come in that, if that was the case. God, the recognition of sin, highlights the degree to which we can be forgiven and the greatness of God's grace, mercy, and love for you and me. None of us is perfect. None of us is sinless. Only as we confess our sin, humbly repent, and humbly receive God's forgiveness, we receive that hope, that new life. And are we then prepared to live that out in right relationship with one another? We talked about earlier the significance of the connection between the church and the forgiveness of sins. It's about our relationship with God, for sure. But having been forgiven, we are called then to extend that forgiveness in our relationships with others. Not downplaying sin, not ignoring sin, but also recognizing that God's gift of forgiveness is available to all who will repent, all who will turn to him and receive it. The creed affirms, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Sounds innocuous enough on the surface, but it's actually one of the most critical statements in all of our lives. We are sinners. The consequence of our sin includes eternal death, separation from the God of the universe. But thanks be to God, that isn't the end of the story. Forgiveness is possible. Have you accepted that gift? Have you recognize the gift of forgiveness that Jesus Christ is offering to you today? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Amen.